This episode of African Tech Conversations is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help you get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. If that sounds good to you, click through to gofreshbooks.com forward slash tech conversations to activate a 30-day free trial. It's fair to say that the Nigerian-born Toro Orero is a live wire that's all the way lit. He serves as managing partner at Draper Dark Flow, a Silicon Valley VC fund backed by the illustrious Tim Draper, whose investment portfolio at DFJ features everything from Tesla and SolarCity to Skype and Twitter. Draper Darkflow is dedicated to investing in African startups run by, as Toro puts it, delusional founders intent on changing the world. Now, Toro also curates Speed Up Africa, which is one of the continent's leading startup boot camps. In this conversation, Toro talks to me about how being underestimated is his superpower. He unpacks what he and Tim Draper look for in startups they hope to invest in and dishes on the pros and cons of running an Africa-focused VC firm that's headquartered in Silicon Valley. This is African Tech Conversations. Toro Orero, thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, I have a question about your first name. It, doesn't it mean bull in Spanish? <laughs> yep. Uh, actually, yeah, it does mean bull in Spanish, and I get it all the time. Uh, <laughs> I don't imagine that's what your parents had in mind when they named you. Yeah, so it's actually um, from a Nigerian um, a Nigerian dialect called Isoko. It means honor. So, yeah. Oh, that's very nice. Now, um, we'll, we'll keep it animal theme for now, but you'll <laughs> <laughs> I want you to think back to the, to the first pet you ever had. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, dogs. Um, it was a dog, a, a puppy in Alsatian. Uh, I was nine and, um, uh, yeah, I'm a dog guy. I'm a dog person. I love dogs. Um, so tell me about being nine years old. Tell me about that dog and your life at nine. <laughs> okay, so at nine, huh? So, so that dog was. Um, I think we shared a lot in common because we loved to play. So the dog was a puppy. I was a kid, and um, for some reason, every other person in the compound was scared of the dog except me. I don't know why, but um, so yeah, it was literally me and the dog out in the evening all night, running up and down and playing and playing and playing, and me waking up the next morning and the dog rushing up to me and me rushing up to the dog and we play all over again. So, so yeah, so that was that for the dog. Um, at nine, I was um, what was I doing at nine? I was probably learning the piano. Um, I'm, I'm a self-taught piano player, so oh yeah, I was probably learning how to play the well, piano. Well, we have that yeah. in common. Oh, really? Cool, cool, cool. What what what, what genre do you play? Well, I I'm a, I'd say I'm a singer songwriter. So you know, I've, I've composed oh, wow. stuff for like theater and stuff like that. But I I lead worship at my church and that kind of thing. But I, wow, I'm, I'm classically trained to sing. I'm classically I'm a tr- classically trained singer. Um, but I'm I'm not trained to play piano. That's for sure. You should be like on your way to a Grammy or something. Oh well. <laughs> oh, I let I let Usher have all of those. You know, I let Usher do his thing, and I'm like, okay, you can take it, bro. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. it it is a passion of mine, but certainly not. Um, I'm I'm not driven in, to that extent. Are, are you as as driven in 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 music as you are, say, in business? Okay, so I was driven in music. Um, so so okay, just. 
I, I play I play jazz. I'm a jazz guy, jazz and R&B. Um, but I was actually passionate and with uh, um, passionate um, about music for a while, and actually actually won one or two awards in the university for like best music producer and stuff. So nice, so, nice, yeah. very nice. <laughs> so, no, no, no. I never got so posh. Look, I mean, I I did a um a production called The Hope Project, I think back in 2009, which really, yeah. um, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was um, a very important l- launch pad into the broadcasting career I'd later have. Um, so it was critically mm. acclaimed. It was a huge financial flop, but <laughs> people liked it. Uh, well, the critics liked it, so <laughs> I guess it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, awesome. So tell me about the compound. You mentioned the compound. You used to play the dog with the dog in. So where was this? Is this in Nigeria? Oh yeah. So this is Nigeria. This is in, in Benin City, um, Adel State. And um, so my friends had this really big compound, like a football field and stuff, a big house and a big backyard. So yeah. So pretty pretty decent um, place and um, lots of lots of um, running space to play. Um, so the dog and I had a blast all through. And we used to have friends come over at the holidays and Christmas. And um, at, at that time, at almost any given time, there were at least 22 people living in that compound. Wow. So, yeah, uncles, aunts, just everybody everywhere. So, yeah, good times. Great, 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 great time, actually. And how different are times now uh, when you think back to that nine-year-old boy, the people and, and, and the people and environment he had around him compared to your life now in, uh, in the Valley? Huh. <laughs> Interesting. This sounds like an Oprah question. Oh, really? <laughs> very, very deep, very childhood connecting to now. I'm joking. I'm teasing. <laughs> um, I'll take so, the comparison. Yeah, think, no problem. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Oprah is a legend. So, yeah. So, um, I think, I think, um, hmm, that's a good question. I think, I think right now that little boy and that big compound are all in my head. So I maintain a, by default, sense of um, extreme enthusiasm and extreme optimism and just like <laughs> in a constant state of excitement. <laughs> it's really, uh, I get mistaken for a child and I've actually been told on multiple occasions on, about how unserious I am. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they meant it as a compliment. <laughs> no, no, they didn't. They didn't. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, imagine yourself like in a very serious business meeting and stuff and you crack like like the driest joke ever. And I'm like, well, I can't And nobody it. gets it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving <So>. along. <laughs> what would your nine-year-old self make of the life you've made for yourself in the U.S.? Hmm. Okay. So first is, um, I'm still, I'm still figuring out this thing called life. So, but so what, so it's a question, what will my nine year old self tell myself now? What yeah. Like what would he think? Self? What would he think? Like you were both people technically you, you, you should, you should have a, a pretty good grasp on, on, on what he might think of the life you have now. I think he'll probably the nine year old will probably look to the future and be like, keep acting nine basically and um would he like you oh yeah i think i think we'll be totally bros man uh i think we will <laughs> yeah yeah he will and in what ways wouldn't he recognize you at all say that again in what ways wouldn't he recognize you at all 
I think I think he'll pretty much recognize me, hundred um, percent, because in many ways I am still <laughs> in many ways I'm still nine, uh, still the playful dude, still the very optimistic dude, still the guy that has the I can do anything in life and in this world type of ignorance that kids usually have. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think I think he'll very very much recognize me. Maybe he'll be scared of like the deeper voice, but apart from that, I think every other thing he'd recognize you. And, yeah, and yeah. tell me about the people in that compound. Let's start with your folks. Uh, um, tell me about the people in the compound when you were nine years old. Who who were your closest family? Who did you grow up with? And then after so, you tell me that, tell me what they'd make if you could go back in time and they could see you from back in time into now. What would they make of the young man you become? <laughs> okay, so I grew up with my parents, dad and mom, and um, aunts and uncles, and random people that were friends of aunts and uncles that would just maybe just live there for a week uh, randomly, you know, so just kind of really open drop house. in type thing. Yeah, yeah, drop in. Uh, many times you probably wouldn't even know how many people are in the house till you're assigned to watch the plates and you'd be like, why are there so many people? So because the plates used to be like a lot, uh, we used to watch plates as a kid. Um, so I think um, my parents probably look at me now and say, we knew he was special, but maybe not as weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, or we knew he was going somewhere and we totally didn't see this coming or we couldn't predict um, this coming. But um, that's kind of been a story of my life. Um, Are you, like do exploring. you intentionally shirk people's expectations of you or is it just how life turns out for you? Most of the time. So there's, there, 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 there tends to be different categories of people. Um, some have a master plan and they stick, um, stick with it or fall plus or minus, but within a range uh, for people to succeed. Other people just tend to um, have a path, but make life, make life happen to them. I think I fall under the, I have a path and I just, I like getting surprised by life. So it's really, not, really, literally not, it's really not me about surprising people. It's about life surprising me. Ooh, that sounded so deep. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it really did. And um, look, we're going to touch on uh, your, your time at Draper University, all the work you do uh, with Draper Dark Flow, as well as um, Speed Up Africa. So if you've tuned in to listen to this conversation and it hasn't gotten to some of the 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 business details we're going to cover today hang in there I, you know there's stuff about Torah I want uh, to, want to understand um, in terms of just setting all this up um, tell me about some of the expectations you encounter uh, in Silicon Valley and uh, around being an African in this space uh, as a, a venture capitalist player as uh, a native African I mean you uh, I know I've, I've spoken to VC players who um, are outsiders who have been adopted by Africa others who might be part American perhaps biologically or having been born in the States but obviously have a connection with Africa you're unique in that you you're an African who left Africa to be in the US um, and now have this 
unique position of in some ways perhaps representing the continent as well as uh, you know, maybe being a bridge to, to people who've never been. So tell me what sort of expectations you encounter in that space. From people, you mean? Or yeah, from, from people you encounter just day-to-day in the work you do. Okay, so, um, hmm, well, great questions. Um, so I think, so generally, right, I, well, I, I, it appears that um, usually the expectations I set for myself usually um, way, uh, outweigh um, expectations people set for me. Um, so, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll say, I've, maybe I, maybe I haven't seen this yet, but, uh, there's no, I can see like any present pressure expectation from anyone except myself. So I know that I have a responsibility. I know I have, um, a clear vision and very defined focus on what needs to be done to, to get the tech ecosystem to where I think it can be. So all that is literally just me putting all the weights and all the expectations on my shoulders. So yes, it's more like of an introspective thing than an outside um, expectation coming in. Environmental factor. So tell me though, um, does that work out as an advantage most times? As in you walk into a room and perhaps people don't expect too much or only expect so much. And um, do you find it all that much easier to to blow people away with what you present or some of the prospects <laughs> and opportunities you have at the table. Yes. Yeah, so a few months ago, I actually posted this on Facebook. I was like, um, um, being underrated is almost like, it's, it's like kind of like a superpower because nobody sees you coming. So, um, so I think, I think unintendedly it has played to my advantage over and over and over again, where it's like, Oh, who's this random guy? Just, from Nigeria walking into the room and probably asks the dumbest questions, which I honestly really do because I just want to know. And, uh, but in the end, I end up like outpacing and outdoing um, anybody in the room from anywhere in the world. So that's kind of been my, and, and the outpacing and outdoing is really, it's usually not a thing of, it's not a strategy of let me go in as a dumb guy and come out shining on top. <laughs> it's usually just me just wanted to learn, honestly, and trying to do my best but this narrative tends to play up over and over and over again so i'll give an example um, even with organizing speed up africa for example um when i started it um the initiative um or the uh, the um the, the idea i reached out to a couple of people to partner but um of course oh we don't know blah 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 i'm not replying emails and uh, within the last few weeks, everybody's sending logos to, well, not everybody, <laughs> but people are saying, oh, how do we partner? How do we do this? Blah, blah, blah. So um, it always that you know, starting, starting, um, starting like you don't know what you're doing, which, I, which usually I really don't, but I'm just learning so fast in the way and just, um, um, just full speed in the head. And in many ways, you certainly have outpaced uh, quite a few. I mean... Um, there are quite a few at this point uh, alumni that have come out of Draper University, but very few can say um, they've had the opportunity to partner with, with Tim Draper himself and, and start a VC firm uh, you know, in an interest area of theirs. So tell me about, let's start with um, uh, how you made your way to Draper University and, and how you picked them out of, say, the, the half dozen or so top flight uh, programs in the U.S. that you you know anyone might want to be a part of. 
Yeah, sure. So Heroes are an entrepreneur, startup guy in Nigeria, um, recovering from a terribly failed startup, Lord have mercy. Which and, was? Uh, Give it a shout out, which, man. Give it a shout out. Uh, uh, it's kind of like trying to resurrect something from the dead. You don't know. You want to oh, be you, dead. You don't, you, want uh, to, you don't want to speak to ghosts. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but it's, a, it's a B2B thing that um, ended up not working out because of a banking regulation that had to, there was like a whole thing going on in Nigeria where the bank had to recapitalize and um, the bank meant to finance the whole deal, had to do a whole board change and many things. So, so the product was put on indefinite hold, but we all know that means, you know, dead. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I thought I was going to be rich and retire, but no, here I am still struggling. With no death um, certificate. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was on the verge of, so I started a third startup, um, but on starting that third startup, I realized I had to grow. Um, I had to go learn from the best of the best. And that was just literally my quest. I've always been a learner. Um, I'm, I'm, many people have told me I'm one of the most curious people they've ever met. Um, I get that too. About, oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I'm curious to, about um, how the space and galaxies work to how to why the engine in a car is positioned that way instead of the other way. So it's kind of, it's kind of sometimes I feel like it's a plague because I just have to know. So, um, so yeah, so, so out of the curiosity, I, I went, I went online searching. I knew I didn't want to do an MBA because I, I didn't think I had one year of my life to do doing that. Um, I couldn't go to YC of 500 startups because I didn't have an idea, right? I was not a startup. I just wanted to go somewhere and just learn. So in the course of my research, I stumbled on Draper University and the light bulbs went off. I was like, boom. So by this super cool, super crazy dude called him Draper, like literally a 59-year-old baby. Uh, <laughs> in a good way, by the way. Yeah. Um Fantastic environment, went, like from what I saw online, and um, fantastic everything. So I applied, and I was lucky to be the only African accepted in my cohort, and that was it. So the whole idea was just to go and learn. That was the whole idea, just to go and learn um, from the most epic people in the world, then start a startup, then maybe when I'm then get rich, of course, maybe sell it to Google or something, then get rich, then maybe when I'm forty or fifty, start. Um, start um investing i didn't even know it was going to be vc in but um i knew that's what i was born to do and i knew i was born to do that when i was 21 raising capital for my first startup for my first real startup and how hard it was and uh, one day in the shower i was just like that's when it hit me uh that um uh we needed to create a better playing field for stars to play and um, i thought i was going to be the person to to do that so right from 21 every startup i had was literally for me an experiment to see yeah, what does it take to run a startup in this part of the world and what are the gaps environments that i might like exactly to yeah, well, yeah. You so, have known, so but um it's certainly things you could uh, pull on later to to you know you you, you basically had a, a reference for you know what people would need in that space Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So initially, when I started to start up my first startup, I was like, "Yeah, we're going to be the biggest in the world." But after I after I came to this realization, I was like, "This is just going to be an experiment to see what it takes to run this kind of show." So yeah. So yeah. So Drippy was just like a whole big learning um, thing. That that's what I went for, just to learn. 
So now t- talk me through like your, your varsity experience. Where did you study and, and what, did you, what did you pursue there? Uh, at 21, you're obviously out of va- varsity. What were, the, what were the things that sort of contributed to you wanting to be a startup founder in the first place? Okay, so I went to this university in Nigeria called Covenant University. Uh, it's reputed to be the, the best private university in Nigeria, according to some stats. And um, so I, so I have I I taught myself to code too, by the way, when I was like in my early teens. Um, so I went in for put in for computer science, thinking it was going to be ninety percent coding and ten percent theory. So I went to Covenant University. Yeah, computer science. I'm going to be hacker for life. Hashtag hacker forever. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, but, uh, I have a feeling the story takes a very nasty turn. <laughs> totally, totally. So I went in, and um, in the middle of or at the towards the tail end of the first semester, um, the school was kind enough to release the syllabus for the the, the remainder of the, of the academic year. So for, for like the, the four year curriculum, so I went to the library and looked it up and saw that coding was just going to be about 10% of the whole computer science class. And I was like, what the hell? This is not what I signed up for. I signed up to code, right? I didn't sign up to read other stuff and code on the side. So right there and then I changed my mind and I looked for another program called um, Management Information Systems, which was a, mixture, um, um, a blend between, between management and computer science. So we took some courses with the business folks and took some courses with the computer science folks. So, but right there, so for my second year, I put in for computer science from MIS and, um, but I officially lost interest in education, um, as it was, um, so I went from being, uh, an A student in, in my first year to being, I'll just pass. I really don't care. Um, because I, now we're, I was also, we're very lucky to have like a big library at the time. I don't know about now, it was the biggest and most well-stocked library in West Africa. So I went in there. I literally had my, I called it my office where my laptop was always there, my bag was always there. And I just read and read and read and fed my curiosity. Read everything about business to space to women, which I still don't understand to this day. Sorry. <laughs> no, that, books that won't help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, and everything about everything and um, realized that, Life was way, way bigger than hacking. I could actually employ the hacker. And um, so I think I think my university years, my, my self-learning in my university years were looking back very, very defining moments in my in my life and things that made me even more more awkward, I think. <laughs> And I'm and I'm wondering uh, the the role of uh, you know the role of African parents. I can I can I can't speak to an African and not and not and not ask what sort of influence they would have had at that t- point in your life because it's usually um, touch and go for 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 youngsters at that age. I mean, parents obviously wanting the best for us and in many respects uh, be coming to terms with the gravity of ha- producing. The, a second generation of of upward mobile adults, something that you know they they'd never experienced, and and of course meaning well, oftentimes putting putting uh, you know youngsters under pressure to sort of live out a certain a certain way. Well, what was your experience in as far as your parents and the and living up to perhaps a legacy they had in mind for you? Okay, so uh, I think I think the story they had in mind for me was a very 
different one because they are actually pastors. Ta-da. Oh, are they so, ministers? Yep. Again, we have that in common. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was totally like, oh, worship. I, I know those days. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, naturally in Africa, Nigeria specifically, that's a very religious country. If you're the first kid of a pastor, you're naturally supposed to be a pastor too. So, um, so, but that that was not that me. wasn't uh, happening. <laughs> yeah, that was. Have any of your so. siblings are coming after you um, entered the ministry, as it were? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, That's yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and how many come sister, after my, you? My, so, the three after me. My younger sister is already a pastor, so good for her. Yeah, but um, that's. Uh, that was not my, my, that I, I was going to be, I was doing that would have been selling my life into something that was not my true calling. Um, so, so it's yeah. interesting because I've got two brothers. So the, the three boys my dad has, and none of us became ministers. And I always tell people it's, it's not a career, it's a calling. So I didn't hear nothing. Yep. I haven't heard. Nothing, so. <laughs> yeah. No flash, no pink, <laughs> no, no DM. So <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah. So no. So yeah. um. So I that you've you've painted a, a a great picture for for motivating what would lead you to to take risks and 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 uh you know try new things and and make and take you know take chances and that kind of thing. Does Draper University um uh once you get picked once you get drafted do you pay for that opportunity or is it do you get picked and you know well, how does it work? Okay, so so you get picked and um, you pay, but I was fortunate to be on a fifty percent scholarship when I got picked. Um, but but DRIPU, in my experience, is um, is totally it's a life changing experience. In fact, most people that go through DRIPU talk about talk more about how it changed their lives than their businesses, and it goes straight to the core of your soul, what you think, how you think, how you view the world. Um, it's, it's, it was, uh, it was, um, that right there was definitely a life changing experience that I think I'll probably never recover from. Um, that, that was, that was quite something. So tell me one way, like what's the most profound way it, it shifted your life changed, uh, by going to Draper? Um, okay. Now there are many ways, but I'll, I'll, I'll give examples until, and let, and tell you the results. Mm. One example is this. One of the first things is, so you know how in seminars or academies or workshops or business schools, um, you get points for succeeding, right? Yeah. In Drip for you, you, of course, you, okay, you're grouped into teams, so you're stuck with that team for the duration of the whole program. So you guys, if you're pissed with each other, yeah, you can't change teams. Like, you're there, right there. You have to make it work. Um, so... And um, you win points for your team, etc. But the bigger you feel, the more points you win for your team. That's counterintuitive, right there. Exactly, it's, it's teaching you the kind of thing that business school kind of teaches you not to do. You know, which is exactly. So we study case studies. So in in graduate school, you'd 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 um, trawl through case studies so that to know what not to do, uh, and then hopefully go into the hopefully go into the workforce with. Um, with a textbook or a playbook, a textbook playbook of uh, what to do, which is the opposite of what you are being taught. Exactly, which is the opposite. So, right. So, for example, so it's, in traditional business school is about is about thinking, strategizing, and doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, in Drapeyu across the street, we have 
um, in the basement, there's actually a little traffic sign that goes, stop thinking, start doing. So we de-emphasize the thinking piece and just dive in. So we totally believe in, also another thing I learned, um, totally believe in what Reid Hoffman said, the LinkedIn guy, um, entrepreneur is the one that jumps off a plane and figures out how to build a parachute on the way down. Yeah, so <laughs> you better you better be you better be MacGyver or something. <laughs> so that's it. That, just that diving in and just you know just just gotcha. diving in, gotcha. you know. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So uh, at um, I have a question that I mean because there's a lot of criticism by some that you know there are hundreds of innovation hubs on the continent and. A lot of people feel they're pretty much just glorified co-working spaces and don't deliver the kind of value you've you, you know you've been talking about or you've just you've just shared with me in that one example. Well, what do you make of of um, you know it, 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 of the uh, of the uh, incubator come accelerator scene on the continent? So um, I think I think it's fantastic. So first, j- j- just to set the tone. Um, we will never be Silicon Valley, period. Okay. okay. Yeah. So announcement world. Yeah. <laughs> heads up. <laughs> um, yeah. Heads up. Don't, don't try to be Silicon Valley. Don't, don't read TechCrunch and try to do stuff. Nah, won't work. Silicon Valley is a different place with different types of people that think in a different way than it's just, it's just a different place. Um, um, and it's, there's always a danger in replicating. You want to be original and not replicate. So, the, so you inherently don't see an issue really in, in how differently or how unlike uh, America or Silicon Valley or say anywhere else in the world, Israel, whatever we are. Um, I think there are things to learn and I'll, I'll get to that. I think, I think there's certainly things to learn um, from Silicon Valley, but I'm trying to replicate Silicon Valley. Um, will be, will, I don't think it's, I don't think for me personally, may not be the way to go. Now, the beauty about the world and the beauty about Africa is there's diversity. So if someone wants to replicate, fantastic, go ahead and try that. Because I mean, we're still like the African ecosystem, tech ecosystem still at its infancy, right? So there's still lots of room to experiment and try. We still don't know what works. So it's great for everybody to just keep trying and trying and trying different methodologies and stuff. Yeah, so I think I think I think it's fantastic. Now I think um, ecosystems are born usually by people congregating around the same set of ideas. So back in so when at the at the beginning of the shall I call it computer revolution or the peace revolution, where people like Jobs and Gates used to go to the homebrew club, and you know a whole bunch of hippie hackers gather around um, places at Stanford and talk about technologies and tech, try to predict the future. Um, so that's how kind of industries are born. It's about the meeting of the minds, right? So I think that the hubs around the continent serve that purpose right now, and that's fantastic. So a group of young, passionate people coming around, trying out stuff, gathering stuff together, and trying to do stuff to to change the world or to just make money. So that's great. So you think it's time and energy. So you, in your view, it's time and energy well spent, regardless of how perhaps um... – crudely it might be put together for the moment or you know while people find their feet it's inevitable that we we won't match the 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 the, the sparkle of say more developed uh, ecosystems um so so um we are just the whole tech ecosystem 
thing just started less than maybe about 10 years ago in Africa with, with, with hubs and stuff. So we are very, very, very much at, at our at, at our infancy. We have, we're just growing up. Um, Silicon Valley is grown up. So we usually don't want to compare. What we can do is look at them and learn and, and um, not copy, but um, adapt some strategies and customize to our own way and our own unique circumstances and keep moving forward. Right. So yeah. tell me how this, how, do, how does uh, the, this uh, curious kid from Nigeria um, gets to Silicon Valley. He's the only African in his cohort um, and somehow comes out the other end and, and later becomes a, a partner with Tim Draper <laughs> on, on a VC concept. So yeah. well, how does that happen? I mean, I, I just felt so good. I've never, it just made me feel so good about myself right now. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is, though. <laughs> um, okay, so here's what I think. So, um, so like, like I told you, I went there just to learn and start a startup. And um, oh, sorry, one more thing, by the way, uh, yes. Angela, um, yes. about the hubs. Yes. Um, just before I go to this, back to Draper, you, um, what I usually encourage people is that. Um, so I think about I think about hubs as parents, and I think about um, startups as kids. So usually, this is not exclusive, but usually, um, a kid that grows up with love and care and nurture and a balanced home and great childhood, usually, this is not all the all, most of the case, but usually tends to be grow up to become like a healthy healthy young adult, maybe balanced emotionally, you know, and so on and so forth. That's usually right. Um, yes. Um, a kid yes. that lives... Well adjusted. In, yeah, exactly. A kid that grew up in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in, in like the severe hard knock life and um, all he knew was drugs and guns and stuff may die young or may grow up and end up in jail or may beat the odds and become successful. But hey, that's why they say he beat the odds. So um, I tend to encourage um, people that run accelerators and incubators to see themselves as the parents, right? So you, you want to have um, great parents so that we can give it to great kids. So um, and having great parents has to do with um, going beyond being a co-working space and creating things. So going beyond having a house to giving the kids toys to play with, you know, and giving the kids good friends. And right. then letting the kids go to play in your neighbor's house. Right. Right. And letting your kids go to soccer, learn, learn football or learn the piano or watch cartoons and stuff. So that way the kid is growing up and coming, you know, a great kid. So, yeah. So that's my, usually what I tell people that run accelerators and stuff. That's an excellent analogy as opposed to what's, um, what's becoming uh, quite popular with um, big brands, uh, basically just... Uh, starting accelerators is some big branding exercise. So I can, and and some of the better ones, to be fair, do take on quite seriously some of the things you've outlined. So that's a really good analogy for it. Yeah, sure. Now, now, but by the way, I, I think big brands are welcome to set up as many accelerators as possible, uh, because I mean, they they have they have the financial resources, the marketing resources, etc., and the, the yeah and the probably can attract a lot of talent because they already have great established brands. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea will be trying to be the good parents type of thing. So yeah. it, exactly, uh, another analogy. So you can have a child that um, has 
a rich dad that is never there. <laughs> you know? That's a really good one. <laughs> so you want to be a rich dad that is there for your child and can still be a dad, right? And can still nurture your child and can still play with the child and can still take the child to football games and etc. So, yeah. So big brands coming in, fantastic. In fact, I applaud them. They're probably willing to put in more money as CSR, quote-unquote, because they can just spend it. But that way, being, being a rich dad and also being there for the kids ends up benefiting both the dad, both the kid, the whole ecosystem. So, and, so back to Drippy. And, mon- um, and money can't take the place of love. Did you see what I did there? Did you see what I did oh, there? Oh, yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So yeah, seriously yeah. now, yeah. back to this Draper thing. Now, you've come out yeah. of this, you've come out of this uh, um, program, and yeah. then how do you go from like, being an, team, alumni, right? uh, an alumnus to like a VC partner, my word. Yeah, so, so here's what happened. So like, like I said earlier, um, I wanted to go there, learn, then start a startup, then become rich, hopefully, then start investing. Um, but my first week there, somebody, my first week in Drip I think my first three days, somebody told me, hey, why not do it now? Like, if this is what you want to do with your life, why wait? Why not just start living your life now? And I was like, Do you remember oh. who said that to you? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was a DU alum, it was a Drippy U alum. Um, and I'm like, interesting. So right there and then, quit whatever I was doing, and I started just learning. <laughs> so those are actually the first times I was looking, I actually got to know what venture capital is and what VCs do. So <laughs> everything was just like learning on the go. And um, But here's, here's, here's what I think was kind of the, just looking back, this is not a strategy, but just looking back, here's what I think um, favored me. So when most people in the class ask questions about, for example, fundraising or how to pitch to how to pitch VCs and stuff, my questions to teachers or to team was always, why did you make that investment? Or I remember there was a time um, Tim Draper brought in a real company, there isn't a two million dollar round. To, to pitch to him like they normally do, but with this time us sitting in to listen to the pitch, right? So in that kind of scenario, um, the students are talking about, uh, which is great, like, um, I, um, or his traction is this, or marketing is this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But my questions were, I'd like to see what you're writing down when he said that, or why did you write that down? Or what did you think when he said that? So just trying to tap in from mm. strictly the investor angle. Mm. And um, and uh, I think, so uh, for me, again, it was just to learn. But um, I think that probably um, stood out uh, to him, I think. So fast forward to a few weeks later, I, I figured that what I wanted to do a hub, an accelerator, right? Uh, which I thought was going to be cool and going to be like the continent's coolest and focus on mobile technology and so on and so forth. Right. And that's actually what I pitched. And I actually came out top 10 in the program, which was great. Um, so, uh, so yeah. And Tim actually offered to invest in that too. But um, after a few weeks, I was like, you know what? Also speaking with lots of uh, one of my mentors too, Michael Ting. Super cool guy. I have to name drop him. Works at Mer- uh, Merrill Lynch. Um, and um, we, we discovered that, you know what? There are already a, a couple of accelerators and incubators on the continent. What we needed more of was early stage VC in, uh, and that's how we pivoted right there to say, you know what? We're not a VC fund. We're going to raise more capital to do this strategy, etc. And um, and yeah, Tim was totally on board. And Tim was like, "That's fantastic. We'll put it up on Draper Network. Put my name on it. It'll be your biggest investor, etc." And everything just kind of worked out that way. 
Wow, that's brilliant. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some of the questions you were going to ask. Like, what's on your notepad these days uh, in, terms of, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what's yeah. catching your eye, what you're excited about? Uh, we're going to touch on Andela because uh, well done there. <laughs> well done there, but we'll get to that. What, what's, on your, what's on your little notepad? What are you scribbling these days? So for, first of all, um, okay, the, the, the top three things. Now, these things, they're not, it's not like a list or a checkbox, but from the patterns I've seen so far for me, and also learning from like an epic investor like Tim Draper. Um, people listen, if you don't know Tim Draper, please Google him. Please Google him. Do yourselves a favor um, and go check him yeah, out. Yeah, do yourself a favor and blow your mind away right now and just Google him. Uh, oh, by the way, he's coming for Speed Up Africa too, but more on that later. Oh, uh, okay. So you tell us all about that. I'm bookmarking that. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. back to your scribbles. So yeah, so what, what I look for is passion. Um there you it, it, it you know passion is emotional right and people get emotional about things they love um so people that try to think about businesses from the strictly bottom line point of view mm-hmm. um will run will most likely run away from the business when it doesn't make the business sense anymore uh but people that do businesses they love will figure out how to make it work regardless of whatever circumstances happen. Um, so, and those are the kind of people that exude passion most of the time. And that's usually the first thing by default that I look for. So what's the passion level? How excited are you about it? About about what you're trying to do, do you get? Um, the second thing I tend to look for is a certain level of delusion. Delusion, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, is this person borderline nuts? Um, um, I do. I think he is really. Actually, the 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 more the more stupid somebody, the the, the more the more stupid quote unquote. I think somebody is the more interested I am in that person because he clearly doesn't get something about how the world works. <laughs> Sure. Sure. <laughs> but he also clearly sees something about how the world works that we don't see as normal people. Um, so yeah, the, the third thing I, I, I tend to look for, um, now, now all this is about the person, by the way, before the business. Yes. Um, the third thing I, t- the, the third thing I tend to look for is, um, um, is this person a long-term guy or a short-term guy? So is this person um, a marketer or a visionary? I'll give an example. So, and I have nothing against the short term or the long term guy. It's just it just helps me position what the deal is going to be. So, right. a short term guy is what they call serial entrepreneurs, right? Where I want to do a business, um, sell it to LinkedIn in five years, and move on to the next thing. Yes. Um, a long term guy is the guy who's going to stick to that business and grow it to become really, really big and make it the biggest in the world before thinking about doing something else, right? He's not thinking about the next thing. He's thinking about this thing as his life's calling. So, yeah. Um, so, those are things I can look for. Now, to the business part of it. Um, uh, oh, sorry. One more thing. I, I, I look for how much fun the person has doing what he's doing. Oh. Uh, yeah. And how do you for gauge me, that? So, actually, it, it depends. So, how the person how the person talks about what he's doing. So, Ah. Um, I'll give an example. Um, does the person think work is fun? For example, uh, is the person thinking um, 
TGIF, thank this Friday. Woo, I'm done with work. You know? <laughs> uh, weekend to weekend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm looking for the workaholic, right? I think there's a place for rest and everything. But um, No, I can absolutely to, get you. So enthusiasm, yeah, the home, drive. Be at home at it, basically, yeah. I, I said, to sum it up, really, you, uh, you're looking for drive, you're looking for enthusiasm, and you're looking for someone who's... Uh, and to to determine at what you know on what gradient of the scale of um uh, of uh, sort of tenacity the person's at in terms of sticking with it yeah 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 and and delusion too delusion and really delusion really to yeah, me. yeah delusion yeah. that's very very important to me yeah so i'll 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 write it back <laughs> i love how no, seriously really, really. you say that like yeah yeah absolutely yeah. guy has to be absolutely nuts no no so <laughs> I'll, I'll give an example so i'll write i'll write i'll write probably and this is just me and this is just at this moment right but um the person that ticks all the check boxes um have a um stanford alum have an mba has sold a start to linkedin has da 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 da, da has a tiny experience it's actually a guy that i'll actually run away from because you are so improper and normal, and you have done all the right things, right? Yeah. I'm looking for the guy that has done all the wrong things and will continue doing all the wrong things as long as he or she can learn as fast as possible. So back onto the business, right? Yeah. For the business piece of it, I look for um, how big the startup is thinking. Um, so are you thinking country-wide or continental-wide or global-wide? I tend to be more excited about people thinking about how they can change the world to how the technology can affect the whole world. So, for example, we're using Skype right now. Skype was a startup um, that the team backed from Estonia. But when you think about Skype, you think about Skype as a global company, their product has changed the way we communicate. Um, so I, I, I tend to tilt towards ideas that are that big, that are that daring, that, that are that bold. So big markets, big world, big problems. Right borderline impossible problems the, the second thing about about uh, that i tend to look out for is what is the unique insight that this person knows about this business that i probably don't know or that other people don't know um so that's also really sometimes very important and um so so it's usually not about the data it's more about how the entrepreneur interprets the data it has. Data is everywhere, but how do you convert that data to knowledge? Right. And so I see that that's like a very, very big thing. I've seen over the course of like my short visa career so far, I've seen you, you start to see patterns in fintech, you start to see patterns in how people pitch, right? But what it's, what I start looking for is what lies outside those patterns because the patterns get boring. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the final thing I look for in, in the business is, um, is the team. So, now, not the team in the cliche way, oh, they have to confront each other, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, that's, it's, that's like, oh, everybody team, team, team. But what I look for is just the, what I think, um, are they lethal executors? What, did you have over 24? Yes, I did. Are they Jack Bauer? <laughs> do they <laughs> aim straight it. and get the target every time will the time? they get this done re- no not, not re- no jack jack didn't, didn't necessarily get it done all the time he actually spent like some 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 years in china in jail and stuff so oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah of course so yeah. with However, some detours involved of course exactly yeah yeah in fact many many details involved breaking many many rules but the thing is will they do i believe that they will get this done they regardless get it done yeah are there people that Think of other people that let excuses get in the way, or will they? Other people that will trek from 
Syria loan to South Africa just to get a meeting. Yeah, I, I totally get you. I get you. We're taking a quick break to remind you of FreshBooks' pretty awesome offer to you, a listener of the African Tech Conversations podcast. They're offering a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to try out their service. Now, if you'd like to get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster, click through to gofreshbooks.com forward slash techconversations and put their software to the test. And so it, it must be surreal. Like we're having this conversation on Skype and uh, how, how, and of course, Tim, like you said, invested in Skype many, many years ago. And how much pressure does that put you under to, to back the next Skype or the next big massive thing? <laughs> huh, um, so I'm, I'm really lucky to have a mentor and boss and friend like Tim uh, because Working closer with Tim, he gets to realize that he actually really, really believes and have kind of tapped into that DNA that fun is li- is actually the most important thing ever. So, like, just having fun, literally just going out and just having fun, not even thinking about the VC and piece of it, is actually the most important thing in life. Very counterintuitive, very, very not serious looking, but um, that, that kind of sparks up a, a certain type of creativity that gives you a different perspective when you look at businesses. Now, for the pressure to invest in the next Skype, sincerely, actually, it's actually not there at all. Um, we just believe that um, with the way we look at businesses and the way and the type of, the way we look at businesses and the way we are as human beings and what we want to do in the world, we will eventually invest in the next big thing. Now, the cool thing about it is we don't know. I can guarantee you that um so team has team and team has made over a thousand investments well over a thousand investments um he has had dozens of exits and over 27 of them have exited at over a billion dollars um most most recently cruise automation in march of this year sold to gm for a billion but um at those points he made those investments having faith that they were going to be billion dollar companies but also being okay with the fact that there are also going to be flops. They could be flops. Mm, right. Mm, so mm. that's that's kind of how we see investment. So no, this is a big deck. This could change the world. By the flops, we're fine. We're okay with it. <laughs> so, gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. Do you think there's an unhealthy obsession right now? Um, I mean, you can't speak for other VCs, but certainly maybe even just in the culture. Uh, I mean, even when you watch, you know, the shows like Silicon Valley on, on, you know, on television, do you think there's an unhealthy obsession with nailing the deal all the time, every time? Almost not even an unhealthy and unrealistic expectation that that's how it works. Um, so from the investor point of view or from the startup point? Of view? From the investor point of view. Maybe both. I don't know. Probably, uh, firstly, from the investor point of view. Okay. So, so, um, hmm. So... The Silicon Valley investor type, t- the typical Silicon Valley investor or the usual average is different from the African investor. So Silicon Valley, the Silicon Valley investor has a ton of capital that can be deployed to most things. Now, contrary to popular belief, by the way, if I might just add, it's difficult to raise capital anywhere in the world, period. So being in Silicon Valley doesn't increase the chance of raising capital, right? Um, so just because people have this um, quote-unquote um, illusion that all I need is bring to the risk capital. I've had tons of people from all over the world, but most of the Silicon Valley and go back to 
Russia or Estonia or Africa because of the race. However, the typical Silicon investor is willing to give something a try, right? He's willing to say, you know what? We'll write this 19-year-old Harvard dropout that came here smelling like poop and is wearing boxer shorts and a t-shirt, a $1 million check. Right. <laughs> right. Let's you see what have, happens. Let's yeah, see what uh, happens. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, yeah. For, 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 they tell you, like, for a 12-month runway, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, in Africa, they're like, like, what? One million? Who is your father? Bring your father's land. Where are you and, from, um, son? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're taking 92% of the company, by the way. FYI. Thank you. So. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so typically, um, Silicon Valley investors are like, I'm paying for the privilege to be part of your company. A typical, we, well, it's changing so far in Africa, but it's, it's usually been in Africa, been um, buying over your company for you to be my employee. So, um, but with new knowledge over, especially in the tech industry over the last few years, that's, that's gradually changing. Um, um, so your question, by the way, I totally lost track of your question. I was kind of trying to lay down the foundation. Is there an unhealthy but, obsession with, with, um, making big deals happen all the time, every time? Okay. Um, no, not, not really actually, uh, not from my experience though. Uh, investors just from my experience in Silicon Valley, just want to invest in great companies that will give them great returns. That's just it. So there's, there's, um, there's typically no um, obsession. I think the obsession I see is the obsession of missing out. So the obsession okay. of missing out is what makes the deals. Exactly. So, so let's say a guy is written a 500, let's say a startup needs 500K, for example. And um, VCA goes, okay, here, here, here's, here's, here's 400K. And, but VCA is a good guy. And the startup goes to VCB and says, hey, you know what? Here's stuff. Oh, and by the way, VCA just gives 400K. And VCB goes, okay, here's another 400K. Now he has raised 800K instead of raising 500K, right? And he goes to VCC and goes, you know what? I just raised um, money from VCA and VCB and they, they invested in Uber and Twitter. So you better hop in. Okay, here's a one million, and blah blah blah. So the obsession is, is the obsession is the fear of missing out rather than the fear of getting on the big deal. So gotcha, gotcha. And so, <clears throat> what would you say is the single biggest inhibitor in your experience uh, to to good deal flow on the African continent? Now, um, in answering that question, I want you to to uh, to talk me through. What would um, the process you guys went, uh, the process around Andela emerging as this amazing prospect or investment uh, target? Um, so just, we didn't invest in Andela, just to clarify. Oh, didn't you? No, no, we didn't. That was Mark and his folks. Oh, um, my so bad. That was, um, so yeah, is, that one of the, is that one of the ships that sailed that left you with FOMO? Well, that reinforced <laughs> the FOMO in your camp. Andela <laughs> uh, is a great company. Andela is a great company. Probably we were we probably hadn't even started when they started. They're actually older than us, I think. So. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. I think Andela is probably five or something years old. I don't know why, uh, why I got that fun. idea. I got the idea that you guys were uh, were was was invested in their seed round or something. I don't know where I got that idea. Oh, okay. We wish, but no, we didn't. No, oh, pity. But now, well, did, then, <laughs> yeah. well, it 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 still uh, the, the the question still holds. I mean, what would you say is the biggest inhibitor to to great deal flow from the African continent? Why? Uh, what's it going to take for more 
um, you know, high-profile um, investment targets like Andela to emerge? So I think I think so I think two things or three things. First is, by the way, you know when people say. Now, there are three things that make up this point. Do you know most of the time they actually don't know what the three things are? And they just make <laughs> it up on the way? It's I just usually, did that it's right usually now. Like a, a, um, <laughs> it's usually like a mental comma to give you a chance. To yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so so for, first is though, um, I, have, I have seen, I have noticed that um, I think in the, in the small visa community on the continent um, so far, I think there needs to be. I think it's a bit great to have more communication and more sharing. Um, yeah, I think I think that's um, really important. Um, so, um, it typically, yeah, that, that's it. That, that, you think that, we that need helps. to be a lot more collaborative? Are we all holding our cards too closely to our chest at the moment? Yeah. Totally, yeah, yeah. I, I get the sense that we're most of us. Not, not, not everyone, by the way. I've had, I've done co-investment deals with fantastic investors here so far, but, um, but you, you, you get that sense sometimes. I think, I think it'd be great to have more collaboration, more open, um, open deal flow sharing between um, VCs, um, and uh, because in the end, the startups are the most important things, and the startups are the ones that will get the VCs rich, not the VC money. Um, because we owe investors money. That's what VCs are. Uh, and startups are actually the ones that will take that and run with, with the business. So more collaboration, more deal flow sharing, more communication, more networking, more hanging out, right, with the VC community. Um, I think I think it's really, really, really important. Um, I have been, I've been part of deals or have been privy to see deals where that have been shared several times within the Silicon Valley community, and you get to know how and why people raise money that fast. In fact, just yesterday, I was in Dubai and um, listening to this dude, the, the, the founder of Grab Taxi, um, the Uber for Southeast Asia, and uh, who was talking about the fundraising person and how one intro led to the other and led to the other and led to the other and how they always raise, I think, um, so much capital so far. So, so yeah, yeah, you, um, we really want that deal flow sharing among investors. Now, the second thing um, is um, um, data. Um, we have seen so far there's little. So I'll give an example. Uh, we, 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 there, there's little data about startups, early stage startups, early stage deals. What startups are working on, what stage they are in, and where they want to invest. Or on, on what investment they need for African startups. So we actually struggled a lot with that. And um, we, we realized that, you know what, we can find data. But we created a thing called Speed Up Africa. And for the first time since we've been searching, we are, we're actually able to get concrete data because people filled in stuff and we were able to see, huh, interesting. So here's how many women so far. Here's how much how much people have raised so far. Here's who has raised. Here's who hasn't raised. Here's who has a thousand users, and here's who has a hundred thousand users. Right. So all the little data points um, really contribute to making a best a better business case for um for investors to invest in. Then um, the third thing I think. So 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 if you think about it, so one is from the investor point of view. One, the second is from that just uh, middle mid ecosystem point of view, and the third, the third is the responsibility of the startups themselves. Now, this is the whole chicken and egg dilemma between investors and startups. Investors go, 
oh, you're too early. Um, go and build a business before, before you come to me for money. And the startup goes, but how can I build my business if I don't have your money in the first place? And the loop continues. So um, um, I think over the last few years, I've done a couple of startups. Um, don't think about yourself as a startup. Think about yourself as a small business, right? So um, when you are, let's say, the, the roadside suya guy or the roadside um, guy that has a kiosk that sells some groceries, right? Uh, he's not thinking of scale at that moment. He's thinking of how do I make money to eat today and tomorrow and for my kids and to feed for the month, right? So with that, he's able to prudently manage his resources, make money, and gradually scale. I think I think that has to be the unique approach for African for most African startups. Uh, we need to think about ourselves as small businesses and actually as businesses. Because startup has become, oh, look, we're trendy, we're a startup, we're making an app. Yeah, how will you make money? We'll get investment and hopefully, nah, that won't work here. So you've got you've to gotta be a business, right? So, And you've got to be a business and you've got to assume that um, you're not going to get invested in. And that kind, that's not the kind of advice that would go down in Silicon Valley, I'm sure, where... Um the the point is to to basically have a great idea and attract money to it for as long as um as it takes to figure out how to make money <laughs> yeah do, do you do you, do you know Andale, the, the irony is that um this advice may not fly even to anyone however this is exactly what investors invest in even in silicon valley or here so and the more the traction the more the users on the platform the more revenue is going through a platform, not even net profit, just revenue, the more investors get interested in investing in that kind of platform. So that's it. So it's all about traction. So you want so a startup a startup has to build itself up on to the point where it doesn't need investment, then it'll get investment. Yeah. I want to know what some of the advantages and disadvantages in your view are of running an Africa focused VC firm in Silicon Valley as opposed to being right here on the continent. Now, I know you travel extensively, but um, I'm sure there rubs both ways. So, yeah. So I, I travel extensively. I actually spend half my time or 70 to 70% of my time here in, on the continent. So right now I'm in Accra, um, getting ready for the Speed of Africa gig. Um, so the advantage of running an Africa focused Silicon Valley Africa focused VC fund is is this. The advantage is um okay, first of all, what I've noticed is just the currency differences. So um and the the cost of living. So a typical example is this San Francisco, for example, which is right now the US's most expensive city, um uh, investing a hundred K in a startup is literally just giving them probably a three-month runway or six-month runway or something, four-month runway. So meaning right. they're going to run out of money after the first quarter, right? Uh, investing 100K in a Nigerian or South African startup is a whole lot more, right? So have, having a fund domiciled in Silicon Valley and investing in, in Africa is actually a cheaper deal than investing in Silicon Valley. Do you know what I mean? Um, the other advantage is, at least from... Okay, now, the other advantage, I think, is from... The Silicon Valley and specifically Draper point of view is uh, we're we have we're blessed to have big global presence and a big a big global brand, so we usually are just deals just keep coming to us every day regardless of if we're actively sourcing for or not. 
Yeah, because we'll hear, oh, Draper now has an office in, in, in Africa. Boom, let's get to them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So, um, so, yeah, so that's also like a big advantage because um, we have m- – many people talk about um, – um, there's usually a value proposition of, oh, we have to look over the connections. But um, there's a fun – did you know this fun fact, by the way? Tim mm-hmm. Draper's granddad is actually the one that um, wrote the VC playbook in Silicon Valley that we use today. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Well, well, not, well. Now you do. So, wow. so yes, yeah, so they come from that like long, deep legacy and history. Uh, we've got Which a bunch you obviously of... benefit uh, from directly. It's, it's the the brand equity there is is incredible. I'd imagine. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So, and that's what started to recognize. Started to recognize that you know what? I have a product. Um, if I need an intro to the CEO of Twitter or, or Mark Zuckerberg or anyone in Silicon Valley, I can get that. Right. So. Because so that's uh, so because of that we get lots of lots of pitches, lots of decks. We want major of partner with us, work with us, and that's fantastic. That's that's an advantage that we really really appreciate and we hold dearly and we maximize to the benefit of the startups. Now, uh, disadvantage, like you said, um, will probably be um, maybe uh, wait, okay from the startup point of view, thinking that we just have all the money in the world to throw away, you know. So, and uh, every single. <laughs> Come on, what's a million bucks to you guys? <laughs> a million bucks is capital that can be made back and want to make that 10x. So, gotcha. uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure you so get that the, a lot. It, it, yeah, so it's not a charity. It's not, exactly, yeah, what's a million bucks to you guys? So it's not a charity. Um, we, we don't just throw away cash. Every single dollar is carefully invested um, because it's an investment fund. It's a venture capital fund. Um, so, so we, we get a lot of, oh, you know, they don't want to be, yeah, just, just give us the money anyway and see how it goes. Hmm. Um, um, I, I think, I think, I think that's probably maybe the only one. Yeah, um, okay. Fair I, enough. I so. And I, I'm uh, curious another, about... another, another one, by the way, another hmm. one, sorry to, sorry to cut you another one no is probably, um, some people thinking that we are not African. Uh, but I, I tend to correct it with that. You know what? I was actually born and raised and grew up here. <laughs> so um, I totally get the gist and um, of every single challenge you're facing now and even could possibly face from this very unique African experience and point of view. So, yeah. Uh, how ironic that an African would need to make that argument. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you guys only invest your own monies? Do you do you invite uh, other institutional investors? Do you take private money? What's your model around you know the actual money you put to work? Oh yeah, yeah. So so we have we have we have capital. Um, we have capital by by all our LPs. Uh, so we, we deploy the capital. Um, so we have capital available from our LPs and we deploy capital into startups. Then for startups that probably need additional funding, we can help them do introductions to other people that we want to. So let's say a startup is looking to raise, I don't know, 500K, for example, and um, we put in 100K, the US dollars, by the way. So we can say, hey, you know what? We think that's an investment that this guy will be interested in. Let's make an introduction to that guy and they can like hop in on the deal too if, if they'd like. So... Okay, so it's not strictly institutional investments, uh, investors. You you speak to in in some cases individuals who might have a specific interest and money lying around. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So also the fund where where typical structured VC fund. So we have LP money and we deploy capital. Then we also help. So if the startup needs more capital, but we're okay with the check size or ticket size, we're done. Then we make introductions to 
whoever we think might be a great fit for them. So it may, it may be like some retired oil worker or another VC or just some angel or some clueless guy. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some clueless guy with a lot of money and. Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. we're, we're, it, uh, we've we've spoken long, and it's uh, it's been a fascinating uh, conversation. We're winding down now. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and in doing that, uh, tell me a little bit about speed up uh, speed up Africa. In a sense, you've come full circle with an idea that you initially had put on hold in order to start the VC hustle, and then now come back to. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine you've seen the need for the type of program that you're doing in the specific way you're doing it. Oh yeah, so sure. So um, Speed Up Africa is um, is we're calling it Africa's most epic startup bootcamp. So uh, it's a, a four-day startup bootcamp focused on um, growth and investment. So we're we're gathering a um, hundred of Africa's most epic early-stage founders coming from eighteen countries, and then we're. We're, we're doing it in a place called Ramada Beach Resort in Accra, which is where I am. I actually just got from the from Dubai to this place this morning and right. I just actually checked in. Yeah, beautiful beach resort and everything's fantastic. So the whole idea is to have a um, – we wanted to make it very – so we, we looked at the typical accelerator model and said, hey, how can we like improve this and make it better? And how can we make something very, very founder-centric, right? Something that will benefit the founders exclusively. So we scrapped out panel sessions and um, we, we scrapped out lectures and are focusing more on workshops, right? So a workshop is – so a, a lecture or a panel session is how I, what I did when I was young or whatever. A workshop is or, – or how to growth hack or how to hack growth. A workshop is everybody's opening their computers and looking at their Google Analytics dashboard and actually A-B testing stuff right there and then. Okay. So very focused on that. Very oh, by practical. the way, we have – very very practical. In fact, specifically about growth hacking, we have um, one of the one one of someone from five hundred startups from Silicon Valley coming over to handle just that. So, um, we, oh by the way, we have people coming from from five hundred startups from Google. We actually have an official partnership with Google. Uh, we have um, about ten people coming in from Facebook Silicon Valley office, and uh, we have other people from within the local tech ecosystem too. So, so that's that for workshops. Now we're also focusing on one on one mentorships. Now people. We, 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 we figured that um, mentorship has to be one-on-one and it has to be deep. It has, it has to be like a connection mm-hmm. and it has to match um, a mentor's domain expertise to, to the problems a particular founder has. So we're doing that extensively over the program. And um, so, for example, if a mentor needs or a founder needs something or an advice, the mentor is just like drop that knowledge, practical hands-on knowledge right there. If a startup needs an instruction to like some person that he'll otherwise or she will otherwise not have access to, the mentor does just that. And they'll focus on investments too. So with investments, typically, um, so I'll talk about the duration and the investment mm-hmm. piece. So for right. the investment, um, typically, there's usually like a demo day and um, people display stuff and everybody claps. But and uh, we, but we noticed that um, if you look at the ratio of demo day to investment deals done, it's terribly low compared to investor startup one and only meetings, which is how t- VCs typically invest. So VCs usually don't make the investments on demo days. They make the investments on one-on-one meetings, right? So we've actually scrapped our demo days and we'll be pairing each founder with at least five investors and they'll be having hour-long meetings 
all through the demo, all through the deal. They were calling it a deal day instead. That's all through Saturday. So we think that will increase your chance of getting funded and um, having deeper, meaningful conversations as opposed to like some two-minute pitch and two-minute Q&A. Are you trying to get these guys um, to land investment in the actual, over the, the four days, the actual four days, or is this oh, an yeah, introductory? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we as a fund, by the way, we're committing a million dollars to invest in within those four days, too. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so we really, really mean business. So uh, so, so the startups we selected are are largely investment ready. We're just connecting them. Oh, as I, as I speak with you, we've already had investors from the international community saying, hey, send us a profile of this 10 startups or of this 20 startups or of this 30 startups, you know. So the whole idea is to focus on growth and investment. That's the whole idea. Growth, how to go from A to, to Z, and investment, how to make it rain. Right. <laughs> make it rain. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Then secondly, about the duration of the program, um, we, we thought that making it really short may be better. Now, we're going to learn and we'll see how it goes. Um, but um, a guy, for example, having a startup in South Africa that's already making 100K a month and has 100,000 users, we thought taking him away from his business for three months, a typical three, yeah, three months duration, yes. may not be ideal. So we wanted yes. to have something short, intense, impactful, and boom, you go back to building a business. Gotcha. That's, um, yeah. Oh, oh, and we also have, we are going to have an in-house DJ too. So, uh. okay. <laughs> oh, is that, so is that going part to be of the, a lot, a, a lot of turning it, up? Uh, that's some of the, the compulsory insanity that you, you like to subscribe to. Exactly. It's going to be a lot of t- turning up. Oh, uh, and by the way, I should, I should mention this too. Um, there'll be, um, three scholarships to Draper University. Uh, we're really excited about, and, yeah. uh, there'll also be a scholarship at Singularity University, um, impact fellows program. Um, and so at, at, by the time, um, um, uh, my list, my audience, uh, listens to this, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, event will have been done. So how, how do people catch the next, the next, uh, cohort? Oh, sure. So, um, so if, if, if you go to speedupafrica.com, just scroll down and you see like, a keep me updated form, just type in your email and, um, you'll be added to to the email list we just do the emails like once a month or once a, we, they're very we, we do it very sparingly so okay so, so you're yeah. not going to be but spamming we, we, we our people nah, oh hell no we don't do, we hate getting spammed ourselves so yeah we don't we don't do that yeah that's great so we just that's give that the highlights of when the next event will be how to sign up or how to participate how to partner etc and so Toro, uh, a couple of uh, questions to, to, to close off. Uh, if you were forced, uh, now these are totally random. So, uh, if you were forced to eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hmm. Hmm. Huh, that's a good one. I, and don't say Soylent because you'd probably slit your <laughs> wrist in a week. <laughs> no, I'll say, I'll say um, Chinese sweet and sour chicken. Sure. You could manage that for the next, I don't know, on, on average, I don't mm-hmm, know if the mm-hmm. actuarial um, mm-hmm. yeah, likelihood totally. of you reaching, uh, reaching 80. So you'd eat that every day for the next. Totally. If I was forced, yeah, that's something I can live with. Chinese sweet and sour chicken by default, boom, right there. All right, all right. <laughs> and if you had to listen to one podcast for the rest of your life. <laughs> okay, I have to say you, right? <laughs> no, no. No, 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 this was not um, a trick question. So, so, and wouldn't so, it be funny if I did that just so I could have you say that and use it as, <laughs> and loop it on the official endorsement, right? An official endorsement. 
<laughs> Tim Draper and his so team. I actually, <laughs> so I actually, um, and I, I think this will benefit many people. Um, Anderson Horowitz, um, the 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 VC fund, yeah, um, they do great, great, great podcasts. They drop some major, major knowledge, and they interview some major, major people. I highly recommend it to anybody. First of all, especially tech entrepreneurs. Gotcha, gotcha. So you'd 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 tune into that for the rest of your life quite happily. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. So a16z.com. Shout out Mark Andreessen. What's up? All right, all right. And then um, I'm just trying to navigate to your site here, where um, you have a list of things you care about: uh, kids, education, learning. Animals, nature, world peace, immigration, sustainable energy, healthcare, and freedom. If I forced you to, to, to pick only one thing that you could for certain by the end of your lifetime see to, which one of those things would it be? Mm. I think I think it would be kids. Um, kids, definitely. Um, kids are – there's this great talk by Sarkin Robinson on TED. I highly recommend everyone listens to it um, about how – school skill creativity actually one of the most watched ted talks of all time and i'm gonna say something about um kids grow up as geniuses and we educate them out of their genius um so um that kids are uh, that's something i'm really passionate about and how to grow how to learn how we can let them express and how we can learn from them um so yeah totally kids yeah gotcha there's one saying about kids I really love that that keeps me humble. I'm a third, I'm a third and last born, and I typically don't. Uh, I'm, I'm not typically warm and fuzzy towards children. Not that I hate them or anything. I actually get along with them quite well. But whenever I'm tempted to take them for granted, I always remember the reason we should care about kids is because they grow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, I may actually say. Uh, um... Don't grow up. It's a trap. It's something I read from some Instagram, some Instagram oh, um, post. Oh, I've seen that somewhere. I've seen that somewhere. You yeah, obviously yeah. live that credo. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, yeah. listen, final question. Yeah. Is there a question I haven't asked you you wish I had? Um, no, no, no. You, you're fantastic. Thanks, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Oh, thank you. I really do appreciate speaking to you, Toro. It's been uh, uh, quite an education, also quite enlightening, uh, insightful. All of those good things. All the best with the um, with the with the with the startups you'll be um, mentoring in Ghana. Um, yeah, all the best. We 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 expect great things. Fantastic. So thanks a lot for your time, and I'm just totally staying in touch. And please let me know when this goes live, and uh, I hopefully hopefully I didn't just like around all. for listening to Africa.